All right. How many of you guys have been to Celebrate Recovery before? Anybody been to Celebrate Recovery? It is a great program. 7 o'clock here uh, uh, at Christ Church on Monday nights. There's a worship service. After the worship service, there are small groups. You can attend just the worship service or just the small groups. But it's, it's a whole Christian community, and it's for folks like you and me. It's for folks that need help healing from habits and hurts and hang-ups. All of us deal with that kind of stuff. For some of us, it can be an additional community to the community that we have here at Christ Church on Sunday morning. For others, it is their community, um, but it's a great experience. If you want to know more about Celebrate Recovery, Lauren, who runs our Celebrate Recovery on staff here, will be underneath the cross after the service, and she'd love to have you stop by and say hi. I'm Pastor Todd. I'm the transitional lead pastor. It's great to have you. We are starting a new sermon series today. I hope you got your sermon notes. If you're online, you'll see a tab to pull down the sermon notes. If you're here in person, they're between the doors on the way out. Um, We are starting a a new sermon series today, and we're calling this sermon series Living It Out. In this sermon series, we are looking at that third part of our mission statement. Our mission statement is love God, love others, and live out the gospel life. I think that's a great mission statement. I I think it, it sums up not just what we're about as a church, but God's mission for each one of us. When God redeems us in Jesus Christ, when God puts us on this path of discipleship, what's the point of this path of discipleship? It is to love God, love others, and live out the gospel life. We talk a lot about what it looks like to love God in worship and stewardship and the way we steward our lives. We talk a lot about loving others and what it looks like to serve and to reach out and to share the good news with other people. But I'm not sure we talk as much about what it looks like to live out the gospel life. In fact, I've asked people in the past nine or ten months that I've been here at Christ Church, I've been asking people a lot of questions about the church as I get to know the church again. I was here like 15, 20 years ago and now coming back. And I've asked people about this mission statement, where it came from, what it means to people, how they understand it. I get a lot of different answers when I ask about living out the gospel life, right? When we say love God, we pretty much know what that means. When we say love others, we pretty much know what that means. When we say live out the gospel life, I've gotten a lot of different answers. And and the most similar answer that I've gotten is that living out the gospel life means that we are serious about the other two, that we're serious about loving God, loving others. We put our love into action by living out the gospel life. And I think that's true. I think that's certainly important that we don't want to just love with word. We want to love in deed as well. We want to live out that love. But I think there's something even deeper about that third part of our mission statement, living out the gospel life. I think it's more than just love God, love others, and be serious about it. I think that really, for me, I think the secret to loving God and loving others is this aspect of living out the gospel life. I think when we talk about the gospel life, what we mean is this new life of faith, is this gift of God that God births within us when we're redeemed, a new life, that God gives us his Holy Spirit and that God lives through us, that this good news life, that this New Testament life, that this, that this life of faith is actually a gift of God, that we can't love God, that we can't love others on our own strength at all, uh, alone, but that it's through living out, actually allowing God to live in us and through us that we live out this gospel life. And so for the next six weeks, 
We're going to go through Acts, the, the book of Acts, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we're going to watch how those early disciples, after Jesus ascended into heaven, as, as they l- began to live out this gospel life, what that looked like in their lives. And from that, we're hoping to understand uh, more of what it looks like in our lives, but also live into more what it is to live out this gospel life. That's my goal. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, the very first eight verses of the book of Acts. And in these first eight verses of the book of Acts, uh, uh, Luke's going to say to us that in order to live out this gospel life, we have to wait on the Lord. We have to learn to wait for the Lord to live through us. That's what we're going to look at today. All right, you with me? That was kind of a long intro. Sorry about that. We're getting into it now. Here's the question. Why wait on the Lord? Why wait on the Lord? Here it is. Why wait on the Lord? Anybody here enjoy waiting? Anybody here say, man, I love to wait. wait I'm all about waiting. I, I, waiting's my thing. Uh, anybody, like when you go to Walmart or you go to the grocery store, you purposely get in the longest line. Anybody? You'll go to Walmart and there'll be 15 lines open and 10 self-serve lines and you'll survey them on and go, I'm going to get in line five. There's four full grocery carts of stuff, two screaming kids, one kid up there wants that candy bar and their mom's not going to give it. That's the line for me. And you get in that line and the, the, the attendant from line three is like, next customer on line three, open line in line three. And you're like, I'm not moving. I'm staying. I love waiting. Anybody, anybody say they love to wait? Anybody here go out on 95 at 5 o'clock on a Friday just because you like to wait? Anybody like that? Anybody's definition of a great weekend is getting up Saturday morning and going to the DMV <laughs> just because you enjoy waiting. You don't even need new tags or register a car. You just love to hear that computer say, now serving F113 at window number five. Now serving F-113 at window number five. Anybody here love waiting? I can't imagine anybody enjoying waiting. I think in Northern Virginia, we particularly disdain waiting. I think there's two reasons for this. Number one, we probably wait more than most people in the world. You know, we have longer lines in traffic, a lot of times longer lines at the restaurant to get a seat, a lot of times longer lines at the store. There's more people. So it feels to me like, we wait more. Than other places I've lived in life, I feel like I wait more here. But I also think in Northern Virginia, we tend to be people who view ourselves as movers and shakers. Anybody here view themselves as a mover and a shaker? I like to move. I don't like to wait. We're like the guy that's got the brand new Camaro with 650 horsepower stuck on 95 at five o'clock on Friday, just revving our engine. That's, to me, that's a lot of Northern Virginians. So we feel like we're moving and shaking. We're getting things done. We're doing things, but we're spending a lot of time waiting. If that's true for you, um, Acts chapter one, verses one through eight can be a particularly upsetting passage, a particularly difficult passage, because in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, Luke is going to tell us that we have to wait, that we can't live out this gospel life without waiting on the Lord, that ultimately we can't love God and others until we learn how to wait 
on God. Learn to wait on the Holy Spirit. Learn to wait on God living through us. And that can be particularly hard for people like us. I'll just admit that right now. If you know me, patience is one of those virtues that I struggle with. Waiting is not easy for us. So why wait on the Lord? Why wait on the Lord? Well, there's two reasons that we're going to see here in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. And the first one on your sermon notes is, there is a promise for those who wait. There's a promise from God for those who wait. When we wait on the Lord, God has a promise for us. That's Roman number one in your sermon notes. Let me read it for you. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he'd chosen. So a little background. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wrote another book in the Bible. Anybody know the name of the first book that Luke wrote? It's an easy one. Luke, yeah, the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke is writing, both of these books are addressed to a person named Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. Theo, God, Phileos, Philio, like Philadelphia, lover. Lover of God. We don't know if this Theophilus is an actual person. Most commentators think he's kind of like a typology for just a typical person. F.F. Bruce, who's one of my favorite commentators, said Theophilus is a representative member of the educated middle class in Rome. In other words, this is a person who's got some education. He or she enjoys reading, enjoys discovering new things, wants to know more about God and what God's doing in the world. He's heard of Jesus. He knows some things about Jesus. But Theophilus wants to lay, Luke wants to lay it out for Theophilus. This is who Jesus is. And so he wrote a whole book called the Gospel of Luke about Jesus' birth to Jesus' death and resurrection, what Jesus did, how he preached, how he healed people. That was the first book. Now, in the second book, Luke's going to lay out for Theophilus, for people like us who know something about God, who've got some education, but need to know a little bit more about Jesus and what Jesus can do in our lives, what the early church did, really what the Holy Spirit did through the early church to transform the world. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's from Jesus's resurrection, ascension, which we're getting into right here, through the period of the early church. And so Paul says, we're now in, sorry, Luke says, we're now in verse three, to these, Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering to his disciples. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of these things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to, there it is, wait, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Luke says there's a promise for those who wait. There's a promise for those who wait, and the promise is if you wait, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit that you wait, the Father will give you what he promised. You've been baptized with water, but you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to wait. You can just imagine those early disciples. Can you imagine them? They've been with Jesus now for three years, right? They've followed him through Galilee. They followed him around Judea. They followed him through Jerusalem. They've listened to 
all the sermons he preached. They were there when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever preached. They were there. They heard it. They, they've listened to, to, to all of his teaching. They asked him, teach us how to pray, and he taught them how to pray. They've witnessed his miracles. They saw him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. They watched as he cast a thousand demons out of this man, Legion, who had this legion of demons in garrison. They watched him call Lazarus out of the grave. They, they watched as he touched a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years and she was healed. They, they'd seen all these miracles. They, they experienced him walking on water and calming the sea. For three years they'd been with Jesus. He even sent them out ahead of him. And they, they, they themselves, God worked through them to heal and to set people free. Now they've witnessed Jesus die on the cross for their sins, resurrect from the grave. They touched his wounds. They ate fish with him up in Galilee. They heard the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've taught you. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. They're ready to go, Right? These disciples, they've been through the seminary of Jesus. They're ready to go out in the world and proclaim the good news and see lives transformed. And the first thing that Jesus says to them, actually the very last thing Jesus says to them before he ascends into heaven is what? Wait. Wait. You're not ready. Well, what do you mean? After three years of following you, of listening to you, of experiencing you, of experiencing miracles, I'm not ready? How could I? In a worldly sense, they have all the credentialing anybody could ever want. And Jesus says, you're not ready. Wait. Wait for what? Wait for the promise of God. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. You've been baptized with water, but you're not ready. You've watched my ministry, but you're not ready. You've heard my words, but you're not ready. You can share the gospel, but you're not ready because you haven't received the promise. Wait for the promise. You ever waited for something big in life? You know that feeling? Or, or like, I can't wait, right? I got to get a new job. I can't wait. I got to get out of here. I can't wait to do something different. You ever, you ever felt like that? Or I can't wait to, I get to take that vacation. Or I, I can't wait to retirement. I just need the market to go up. Please, Lord. <laughs> I just need to vest two more years. Then I can go. Please just help me through. I can't wait. You ever felt like that? Like there's something big out there. And you just feel like I'm stuck here. And when I get there, then I can really start living. But right now I'm just, I can't wait. You ever felt like that? I imagine the disciples feeling like that. Like, let's go. We experience Jesus. He's alive. Let's go. Wait, Jesus says. Wait for the power of the Spirit. We can't, this is the point here, we can't live out the gospel life on our own. You can't live out the gospel life on your own. I can't live out the gospel life on my own. No amount of training or discipleship or taking baptism classes or being baptized or experience that you've had with God yourself, none of that, none, none of that earthly credentialing is enough to live out this gospel life. We have to wait for the promise of God, the Holy Spirit. It's only, the, the gospel life is really a gift. It's a, it's a new life, a gift that we receive. 
It's not something we do. We do it, but we do it because He's doing it through us. It's a, it's, a, it's a new life. It's an abundant life that Jesus promises that we receive as a gift. In order to receive that gift, Jesus is telling His disciples, wait. This is the essential element of living out the gospel life, is waiting on the Holy Spirit, waiting for the promise. He said, but wait for what the Father promised. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's the first reason we wait. Number one is that there's a promise for those who wait. There's a second reason that we wait on God, and that is because there's power for those who wait. There's power for those who wait. It's very similar to promise, but I don't like a sermon that only has one Roman numeral, so I had to break it up there a little bit. So there's a promise for those who wait, and there's power for those who wait. Let me read it for you. It's in verses 6 through 8. It says, So when they had come together, the disciples are gathering together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time that you're going to establish this kingdom we've been looking for? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Waiting on the Lord is really waiting for the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is really like waiting for the Lord. It's not like waiting on the Lord like you're waiting for a package to come from Amazon. You know that feeling? You, you want something, you want it now, and you order it, and you're like, oh my gosh, i got to wait a whole day, you know? And you're tracking it, and you're like, it's close, it's in Leesburg, and you're waiting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting on it, you know? I'm waiting on it. You know, sometimes in life, we're waiting on stuff. But waiting on the Lord is really waiting for the Lord. We're waiting for the Lord to fill our lives and to empower us with his presence and to come into our lives and to live through us. We're waiting for the Lord to come. And, and, and so when we're waiting, what we're saying is, is that the Lord, Jesus, really his Holy Spirit, is the one essential element of living out this Christian life. All of our credentialing and all of our study and all of our effort, and all of our gifts, and resources, and everything we do, even our good deeds, and our stewardship, that none of that is enough to empower us to live out the gospel life, that we have to have the Lord living through us to live out the gospel life. There's a power for those who wait. The empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's something you can't get even by seminary or by any ordination committee or any class you take, there's, a, there's an essential element of God living through us. One of my concerns about the modern church or modern denominations is that too often we act like if we just get this human element right, everything will be okay. You know that feeling? Like if we just restructure the church or restructure the denomination, then everything will be fine. Or if, if we just start this new ministry, then everything will, be, everything will be fine then. Or if we just 
tweak this curriculum that we have here. That'll, that'll be great. Everything will be great there. Or if we just get the, a, a, a good next pastor, if we just get the bishop to send us uh, Pastor Todd, then we'll be okay. We hate losing Pastor John, but if we get Pastor Todd here, it will be okay. Everything will be okay if Pastor Todd comes. That, that feeling like if we just, if we just, and for we that are United Methodists, we just feel like if General Conference just ever meets and does the right thing, then, then we'll be okay. And, and we have this idea that the essential element that we need to fulfill this gospel life is some earthly element, some human work, some institutional decision. That if we just get the demographics right, or the location right, or the parking right, or the scheduling right, everything will work out great. And it's true that all of that stuff is important to a church, an institutional church. All those types of things are important to our own individual life. But none of those things are the essential element of discipleship. The most essential element of discipleship and the most essential element for the church is this power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit filling our lives, empowering our lives. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. These disciples, they have all of the earthly credentials. Can you imagine? They've been with Jesus for three years. They saw him rise from the dead. They've experienced his miracles and his teaching. But Jesus tells them, they feel like they're ready. Jesus says, you're not ready. You need the empowering presence of God. They ask him, Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore Israel? That's their question. They're all gathered together. Jesus is with them. He's been with them now for 40 days. He's revealed himself to them. They're, they're with him, and, and they're like, it's now the time you're going to establish Israel. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for an external power, right? They're looking for Jesus to sit on the crown of David, the, the throne of David. They're looking for Jesus to remove the Romans from uh, Judea and from Galilee. They're, they're looking for Jesus to establish a kingdom and put them in charge of different ministries within that kingdom. They're looking for an external power. And Jesus says, hey, the Father's going to determine that. that the, the kingdom's going to come when the Father determines. But listen, that's not the most essential element. What you really need is an e internal power. What you really need is the Holy Spirit on the inside, transforming, empowering, using us on the inside. It's not, a, it's not an external power, an external credentialing that we need. It's the indwelling presence of God. In 10 weeks, almost nine weeks now, I'm going to move from being the Christ Church transitional lead pastor to the lead pastor. That's a very scary thought for me. I know it is a scary thought for some of you as well. Um, but as we get closer, people have been asking me, are you ready? I'm like, well, uh, we'll time will tell, but I'm having more sleepless nights. So that shows something. I mean, it's, but as we move from Pastor John, 30 years here, lead pastor, and in nine to 10 weeks, it'll be Pastor Todd. I recognize that there's some authority that comes with being the lead pastor of Christ Church. For the sake of the sermon, I'll say power. I'm not real comfortable with the word power, but that's what we're talking about. That there's some power that comes with being the lead 
pastor of Christ Church. And uh, in the past several months, if you've been upstairs, you know Pastor John and I switched offices like three months ago. So I went from the little office across the hall to the big office. Come visit me sometime. It's really nice. If you've not been up there, it's got windows. It's in the corner. I'm sitting behind the big desk. I've got my diplomas up on the wall there. Signs of earthly credentialing my ordination papers and all that. I got my books on the wall. But I recognize, and I hope you all recognize, that the essential power or authority that I need to lead Christ Church isn't the big office or the title on my desk. It says Dr. Todd Schlechty or the credentialing on the wall or the experience that I have. But the essential element I need to lead is the internal indwelling presence of God's Spirit, right? I can't do this job with all of that but without God. I can only do this job with God. That the, the, the power, the the authority I need is an authority that God gives. And the essential part of receiving that authority is what Jesus is telling his disciples here is to wait, to wait on the Lord, to wait for this promise, to wait on God. Now that's true of me, but I'm making the assertion that that's true of every one of us. That you cannot be the disciple that God calls you to be. That you can't be the husband and, or wife or the single person that God's called you to be. That you can't be the parent or the child that God's called you to be. That you can't live out this gospel life the way that God's called you to live out this gospel life without waiting on the Lord. I don't care how many years you've been doing this. I don't care how long ago you were baptized. I don't care how many classes you've been through or small groups you've joined. And all of that stuff is really important, but it's not the essential element. In order to live out this gospel life, as well as in order to love God and love others, the essential element is we need God with us. We need the Holy Spirit filling us. And in order to have the Holy Spirit filling us, what we have to do is we have to wait on the Lord. What I mean by wait on the Lord is that we have to submit our schedule to his schedule. We have to submit our calendar to his calendar. We have to submit our priorities to his priorities. That's what it means to wait on the Lord, is that God is actually doing something. God is living out the gospel life. God's Holy Spirit is working out the new life in the world. God is bringing his redemption to the world, and we want to join in what God's doing. We as Christ Church, but we as individuals as well, we want to join God in what God's doing. And in order to join God in what God's doing, he's got the agenda, right? He's got the priorities. He's got the calendar. And waiting on the Lord means bringing ourselves into what God is doing. Have you... Uh, seen this commercial. It's for Powerade. It's got Antonio Conte. Don't, don't run it quite yet. I'm just going to set it up. It's got this guy named Antonio Conte. Anybody know Antonio Conte? I, I don't really know him either. He's a, I've just seen the commercial. I had to look up who he was. He's the soccer coach of the Tottenham Hotspurs. Anybody follow Tottenham? Yeah, see, 
Premier Soccer League's not our thing here. That's, that's cool because I'm not down with it either. But <laughs> it's on TV all the time now. I keep thinking, you know, are, and it probably is true, but in England, do they have NFL games on TV all the time? I mean, it just, they probably do. It just, it's different for me. But anyways, I mean, I'm not anti-soccer. Let me just get that because I don't want the hate mail. I, <laughs> I think soccer's great. I don't, it doesn't bother me if people call it football. You know, that's cool also. I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. But like when World Cup comes, Women's World Cup, Men's World Cup, I'll watch it. It's good. It's fun. But I can't watch a league with a bunch of teams I've never heard of called the Hotspurs. You know, that's just, but anyways, Antonio Conte, he's the coach of the Tottenham Hotspurs, and he's an Italian coach. Apparently, he's pretty famous. He and also Simone Biles, who was the American gymnast who was in the Olympics, we expected that she was going to get like five gold medals, but then she had some stress and some mental issues, and, and she had to drop out. They're in this commercial. It's a really cool commercial. It's for power aid. So watch this commercial and I'll try to make it a spiritual experience for you. The commercial says, pause is power. And of course, like all great commercials and commercialism, there's an aspect of truth to that. It's not true that drinking more sugary drinks will make you a better coach or athlete or uh, Olympian or anything like that. But it is true, you know, if you're training out there all day long and you're hot and exhausted, taking a moment to rehydrate, really helps you. And it's true in a lot of areas of our lives that if we sharpen the saw, we get more done. If we take time to pause and think things through, sometimes we can do more. If we measure twice, sometimes we can only cut once. There's truth to this idea that there's power in pause, and particularly in our spiritual life. Because the spiritual life is not us discovering our life. It's us discovering the life of God. And in order to discover the life of God, we've got to pause and allow God to pour into us His life, His priorities, His love for God, His love for others. It's, this, it's, the, it's the waiting on the Lord that allows us to live out this gospel life. Now, waiting is important in every significant relationship in life. Are you married? You know? I had to wait a year to convince my wife to marry me, Margaret. We had to wait several years before we were able to have kids. And then once I had kids and I had a wife, I found I was waiting all the time. You ever have this experience? Because being in a relationship with somebody else just requires waiting. You have to 
either negotiate your schedule or allow your schedule to be changed because there's another human being in your life waiting. And that's particularly true if you're waiting for somebody who's a Lord, you know. I had a lot of friends in the Navy when I was a pastor in Norfolk, and they used to say their slogan was, hurry up and wait, you know. We, we, get, we got to hurry, 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 wait. But that's because they have commanding officers, right? And that's the nature of being in a relationship with somebody over you. There's a lot of tuning your schedule to their schedule. They have a priority. They're trying to do something. They're trying to use you and help you to be part of this bigger goal that they're doing. And that's particularly true if you're in a relationship with the king of the universe. If we're in a relationship with the Lord, we have to learn to wait on the Lord, to tune our schedule to his schedule, to tune our calendar and our priorities to his schedule. Waiting on the Lord is essential for living out this gospel life. Now, Christ Church is in a period of waiting, in a sense, right now in our lives. Um, you know, we're just coming out of COVID, and for the past two years, we've kind of been waiting for COVID to be over. It started with shutting down the in-person ministries and going completely virtual, and then about a year or more ago, we started in-person ministries limited, and then we started opening up worship, and then we started opening up children's ministry and youth ministry and possibilities club, uh, inclusive ministry and CR, and now we have most everything open. Again, a lot of our small groups are still online, but we're beginning, and people are coming back, and it's great to have you all coming back. It's made such a difference for us to be able to interact with people in person as well as virtually. We're also waiting, in a sense, for this transition. Pastor John, after 30 years of leadership here at Christ Church, is going to be retiring in nine weeks. And I'm going to be stepping into that role, and all of us are kind of anxious to how's it going to work, and what's going to change, and what's going to stay the same, and where are we going to be going as a church, and we're just waiting in a sense to see what God's going to do through this. So Christ Church, in a, in a sense, is waiting, but I hope that we're not just waiting. This is, I want you to see this, that waiting in the Lord doesn't mean just, okay, I set my clock for nine weeks from now, I'm just waiting right? It's not a passive waiting. Like, I can't do anything about it. I'm not lead pastor now, but in nine weeks I will be, so I'm just waiting. No, waiting on the Lord is saying, God, show me what you want to do. God, fill me with your power and presence. God, gives me the gifts to do what you're calling me to do. And all of us, all of our lives should have that posture of waiting on the Lord. I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to challenge you all this morning to do something I'm calling pastor prayer partners, pastor prayer partners. What I'm, what I'm proposing is I'm asking for, I'm hoping for, a hundred people who will commit to pray for me and for this transition and for our church as we transition lead partners. Pray every day for one year. Think about that. I'm asking you, if you like, if you're part of Christ Church, to commit to praying for one year every day for me and for the transition of leadership and for Christ Church as I step into this new role. Because I realize that what we need is to wait on the Lord. 
We need the Holy Spirit to be in the middle of this transition. This isn't going to work just because John has a great idea of who should follow him or because I feel super called to be here or because I love Christ Church and have this affinity and this history with Christ Church. All of that's great, but all of that is not enough. We need to wait on the Lord. So I'm, I'm asking you, if you are interested in doing this, you can go to our bulletin. There's a QR code for doing that, or you can just go to online and see the bulletin. And on the bulletin, they'll say Pastor Prayer Partners. There's a place, a link there to go and sign up. Or you can email me, Pastor Todd at Christchurch VA, and I'll send you that link. You know, Isaiah says this, the prophet, though youth grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Waiting on the Lord is the key to living out this gospel life. We can't live out this gospel life without waiting on the Lord. I think about the children of Israel. You know, they came out of Egypt where they were enslaved and they prepared to go across the Red Sea. And then in the Sinai, we have actually 48 people tomorrow going with Pastor John to Israel, and they're going to go to Sinai where this happened. But the, the children of Israel, there's a million of them, right? There's a, a whole nation of people. They had to wait on the Lord. The Scripture says that there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that led them out. And when the pillar moved, they followed the pillar. They were waiting on the Lord. And when the pillar stopped, you know what they did? They just stopped. They set up their tents. They lived there. They were all like, when are we going to keep going? I don't like this place. I like the last place better. They were all complaining. But they had to wait on the Lord. And then when the pillar started going again, they had to pack up all their stuff quick and get ready to move because the pillar was moving, right? And they had to fall because that was the Lord. The Lord was leading them through that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. That is a beautiful description of this living out this gospel life for this Christian life. That we're so in tune with God that day by day we're hearing, we're listening, we're seeing where God is going. And we're joining God in that journey. And when we join God in that journey, He provides for everything else. And He empowers us to love Him and love others and live this life out. That's my hope and prayer for us as a church. That's my hope and prayer for each one of us. That as we wait on the Lord, that He'll empower us to live out this life together. Let's pray that might be so. Lord God, thank you for your empowering presence. Thank you for what you've done in our lives in the past and the amazing ways that we've seen you work miracles and healing and new life into our lives for the amazing things we've seen you do here at Christ Church as you've transformed this community by your grace. But we ask, we intercede this morning, we ask this morning that you would empower us anew, that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us afresh with your presence. Give us your promise of this gospel life. Give us the empowering presence of this Holy Spirit, that you might empower us to truly love you and love others, to live differently in this world, to be transformed people by your grace and to live out this gospel life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.